Awesome, guys. Thank you so much. The Lord is good to us. Open your Bibles with me this morning to the book of Colossians, chapter 2. I spent nearly the entire day yesterday, hours yesterday, and not just yesterday, but going all the way back to early this past week, just seeking the Lord and, and finding out what he had for us. I knew there were some good things. It's just about 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock last night, I just didn't feel like I had it. And uh, I don't know if any of those of you who have been in ministry or had any experience standing up to minister to people, I mean, here's the thing, you don't got it till he gives it to you. That's what we've been taught. And you don't just come up with something or make something up. So Sarah and I both seek the Lord earnestly. Lord, what do you want to say to your people? But as of about 8 or 9 o'clock last night, it just didn't have a lot. But by 6.45 this morning, I got too much. That's, that's our God. He's too much. So please be in agreement with me today that we'll get exactly what we need. And I can already tell this might spill over in the next week, but you're coming back. You're coming back. Church two weeks in a row? What? While you're looking for Colossians 2, let me remind you of some things we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks and going all the way back to the beginning of this year. I don't even have to make you turn there anymore. I bet you know it by heart. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10 says, May the God of all grace, who has called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, what does he do? Perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Is this working in anybody else in this church? I'm telling you, I've got this on my mind day in, day out, looking for it, watching for it, expecting it, that the God of all grace, my God of all grace, who has called me to his eternal glory, he's working in me. He's working in my life. He's working in my family to perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle us. Anybody else expecting that? You need to be. Now, I had a sense in my heart that there might be some among us who are like, really, this again? It seems like we've been hearing these same four words for weeks after weeks after weeks. And, and it's true, we have. But uh, we can't get tired of this. What we're doing right now is not just taking a surface approach to the Word of God. We are like a sponge just squeezing this thing and trying to get every ounce of revelation out of it that we can. And I believe the Lord is instructing us to just stay put for a little while. I don't know if you've ever gotten stuck in scripture before, but if you do, and when you do, don't try to get out. Don't try to move on. If you're stuck in a place, what do I mean by that? It's like no matter what you're looking at, no matter what you're reading in the word, it just seems like it keeps coming back to that and back to that and back to that. That's the Holy Ghost bringing you back to that and back to that and back to that. He's got something to say to you in it. So if you're stuck there, don't get unstuck. Just enjoy it. And that's what we're doing right now. We are stuck right there at the God of all grace, perfecting, establishing, strengthening, and settling us. You know, we as Christians have something that the rest of this world doesn't have. We've got something that no unbeliever has, that no person of any other religion has. You want to know what it is? Jesus. We've got Jesus. And in Jesus, we have a picture of perfection. So many people in this world, I would dare say everybody in this world, is looking for a pattern. 
They're looking for a, a, an example, a role model, if you will. They're looking for somebody that they can put their eyes on. And they're looking for somebody that they can look at and say, okay, if I do that, I'll get what they got. If I'll do what they did, I'll get what they've got. And if you're online at all, of social media, YouTube or whatever, you're probably getting the same stuff I'm getting. But there are advertisements coming my way all the time. Mostly from people who are, you know, buy my book, subscribe to my this and that and the other, and I'll show you how I made a million dollars in 30 seconds. And, and, and am I telling the truth? Does anybody else see these things? You're seeing them all the time, all the time, all the time. And what they're saying is, use me. You need a role model? You know, use me. Look at me. Do what I do. Get what I've got. People are always looking for a life that inspires them. They're looking at people's stories. People are avid readers of biographies and autobiographies, looking for a life that inspires them, looking for a life of somebody who their life tells an amazing story, how they had nothing and they worked hard and now they've got all this and wow, that inspires me. And you know, some of that may be really good, but as Christians, listen to me, church, you and I must be very, very watchful over whose story we allow to inspire us. Because the closer you look at somebody, that's exactly what's going to happen. You will do what they did and you will get what they've got. The only problem is there may be a few things that they've got that's good, but if their story does not include God, the God of all grace, perfecting, establishing, strengthening, and settling them, then I guarantee you this one thing. Somewhere along the way, sorrow was added to their story. Loss, destruction, divorce. Don't just look at what somebody's got. You need to know more than that. How did they get it? Just because somebody's got something does not mean God got it to them or that they trusted God for it. Don't just look at what somebody's got and allow that story to inspire you because what they may also have got was heartbreak, loss, gone broke a dozen times. That does not inspire me. I don't want that. Do you want that? No. Here's what we've got that nobody else has. Jesus. We have got the role model of all role models. We have got the greatest example. We have got the greatest demonstration greater than there's ever been in human history, greater than there ever will be in human eternity moving forward. We've got Jesus. We have a picture of perfection. And when we talk about these words and what it means to be perfected, established, strengthened, and settled, what you and I are actually coming to find out is it's a description of him. And so if it's been difficult for you to wrap your natural thinking around what you look like, perfected, established, strengthened, and settled, if all you can think of when you think of yourself is un all those things, right? Incomplete, wandering, weak, and unstable, which by the way describes so many people. <laughs> incomplete, wandering, weak, and unstable. If you're having a hard time wrapping your natural thinking around what you would look like actually completed, actually established in this life, strong in every area of your life, stable in every area, spirit, soul, and body. Well, don't work so hard to think of you that way. Let the Holy Spirit show you Jesus. Amen. 
because that is what he was, that is what he is, that is what he always will be. We have a picture in him of a life perfected, established, strengthened, and settled. But the other thing we have that the rest of this world doesn't even get a taste of is not just the example of what we could and should be like, it's the grace to do it. Oh, come on, you gotta hear this today. Every word of that verse in 1 Peter is so critical. May the God of all grace do this. That's God saying, I, I, I'm not just telling you to be perfect. I've got power to make you that way. I'm not just telling you to be established. I'm giving you power to establish you, to strengthen you, to settle you. May the God of all grace do this. So not only do we have Jesus as the perfect example, we've got grace upon grace to be just like him. And this is the big difference really between Old Testament and New. The law that God gave people was a picture of perfection. It was a picture of, and when I say perfection, I am talking about flawlessness. It was a picture of doing it right and being right and being right with God. The only problem was there was no power to do it. There couldn't be. Man was, for lack of a better word, empty on the inside. But when Jesus came, and gave his life and we by faith put our life in him, then that God of all grace, he didn't change his standard and level of perfection. He just said, okay, now I'm giving you the power to do it. Now I'm giving you the power to be it. It's like we talked about, I think it was last week when those Pharisees brought that woman, they said caught in adultery and threw her down at Jesus' feet. Said the law says that that picture of perfection says stone her. What do you say? And we went through that whole thing last week, how Jesus was patient. Why? Because patience makes perfect. This woman's life hangs in the balance of Jesus' answer. So he's not going to answer off the top of his head or some knee-jerk response. He's not going to fill the atmosphere with a bunch of, uh, uh, well, uh, maybe, I don't know, one opinion. No. He kneels down. He starts playing in the dirt. What's he doing? Waiting. Because patience will have its perfect work. This, this woman's life hangs in the balance. He's got to get the right answer. Waiting on a word from God, waiting on the wisdom of God, waiting on the witness of the spirit. And finally he gets it. Now I don't know how much time passed, but I guarantee you this, to that woman, it felt like an eternity. But Jesus just was down there. The Bible says, as though he did not hear him. You remember that? We shouted about that last week. You can do that when the pressure's on. Act as though you didn't even hear it. What are you doing? Listening not to the pressure, to the witness of the Spirit. Patient, I'm not saying a thing until I hear my Father say it. And patience will make perfect. You will come up with the perfect answer. And that's what he did. But he who's among you without sin, throw the first stone. That was not one of their options. They gave him a multiple choice question. A, B, stoner, don't stoner. But if you will listen to the Holy Ghost, He'll tell you about C and D and E. And you know what happened? Those guys, they being convicted by their own hearts, their own conscience, they dropped those rocks and turned and walked away. But I said all that to say this. Jesus looked at her and said, woman, where are your accusers? Does no one condemn you? 
And she said, no one, Lord. And he said, neither do I condemn you. But then he said, go and sin no more. So he didn't say, hey, what you did is fine. It's under grace. He didn't say that. He actually said it was sin. And he said, go and sin no more. Folks, that's not new. They had been told for generation after generation, don't do that. As a matter of fact, it was one of the top 10 don'ts. <laughs> Thou shalt not commit adultery. So that Jesus telling her not to do it was not revelation or new information. The difference was this time it came with the power to go and sin no more. The command to go and sin no more for the first time came with grace to go and sin no more. Can you hear this? What a picture of perfection. We've been looking at this scripture in the book of uh, 1 John chapter 4, verse 17. that says, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, as Jesus is, so are we in this world. The, the Berean Study Bible, BSB, says it like this. In this way, love has been perfected. Are we still talking about perfection? Yes. In this way, love has been perfected among us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. For in this world, we are just like him. Now, that's been our focus over the last couple of weeks. Being just like him. He's our example. And many people would agree to that, acknowledge that. Yes, Jesus is the ultimate example. But when you get over into telling them they can be just like him, they scoff at it. Or it, it, it hits them like theory. It hits them as Christianese. Oh yes, things we should put, are supposed to say. We should be like Christ. But in the back of their mind, they're going, yeah, right. That's Jesus. Give me a break, like where any of us are ever going to be like him. But Jesus said in the book of Luke chapter 6, verse 40, he said, the disciples not above his master, but everyone that is perfect. This is the King James Bible. Everyone that is perfect shall be like his master. Everyone that is what? Perfect. Now you and I are never, ever, ever, never, ever, ever, never, ever, ever, never, going to surpass Jesus, are we? No, the disciple will never be greater than his master. But Jesus said, everyone that is perfect will be just like him. Now that ought to show you right then that when he says perfect and the scriptures we've been looking at for weeks refer to perfect and 1 Peter 5.10 says God, the God of all grace will perfect you. That ought to tell you right then. We are not talking about flawlessness. We are not talking about perfect sinlessness, never missing it, never making a mistake. Obviously, we're not talking about that. Now, was Jesus that? Yes, he was. And yes, he is. If he wasn't, then he could not have been our sacrifice. We know that. Right on the other hand, if you could be, then you could have been your own sacrifice. Do you see the difference? He had to be flawless so that he could be our sacrifice because we can't be after the flesh. So when he says, if you're trained by your master and you're perfect, he's clearly not talking about a flawlessness. Other translations bring this out. They bring out the concept of being perfectly trained. Other translations say completely 
trained. Now we spent two weeks looking at what the scripture calls perfect. Again, not flawlessness, not, not a total absence of mistakes or sin. It has to do with growing up. It has to do with maturity. The word perfect, look it up in the scriptures, and one of the words anyway, literally means full grown, fully developed. That's why we've been looking at Ephesians chapter four. It says God gave gifts. He talks about the ministry gifts for the perfecting of the saints. The New King James says the equipping of the saints. He goes on to say that we would all grow up into the perfect man. So you and I are going to quit saying nobody's perfect, aren't we? We made that decision a couple of weeks ago. We're going to quit saying nobody's perfect. Number one, it's a lie. Jesus is. And number two, it's an excuse for the flesh. If perfection's about growing up and we're leaning on that crutch, that excuse of nobody's perfect, really what we're saying is, let me stay a kid. Let me stay childish in my thinking. Let me stay childish in my speaking. Let me stay childish in my understanding. Nobody's perfect. That's what you're saying. When you're in a fight, husband and wife, let's be honest, it happens. And, and your, your excuse, the card you play to win the argument is, well, look, nobody's perfect. What you're literally saying to your spouse is, I'm a child and I want to stay that way. I want to keep thinking like a five-year-old. I want to keep talking like an eight-year-old. I want to keep understanding in this silly, immature way. We're going to quit that stuff, aren't we, church? Yes. Instead of saying nobody's perfect, let me give you something else to say. And just try it. Just see what it does. Try this instead. I apologize. I know, crazy. I know it's, 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 it's lunatic to think that that can do anything. But just try it sometime. Try this. Try it. I apologize. I was wrong. Wow. I mean, you can try it and just see what it does. But I guarantee you this, it will go a lot further than, well, nobody's perfect. We knew you weren't. <laughs> this was not revelation to us. But you grow up when you acknowledge where you miss it. In talking about being just like Jesus, this is where the big difference is. With him, it showed up all the time. That maturity showed up at every intersection when he had opportunity to yield to his flesh or yield to his spirit. Every time he yielded to his spirit. At every intersection when he could have let something mean fly. And I guarantee you, if you knew some of those Pharisees, he was tempted. And he could have let something ungodly, he could have let something out of frustration, out of anger come out of his mouth. Because he got angry. But at every intersection, he yielded not to his flesh, but his spirit. What am I telling you? I'm saying that when we're growing up, he's showing up. Think about it in those terms. That is a mark of maturity. Your child, however young they may be, our children, they've got all the same, they've got the same muscles, they've got the same joints, they've got the same everything that we've got in this grown-up body, they have in that little one. The big difference is development. Yeah. 
right? They got a brain in there. <laughs> the big difference is development. You got a brain in there. I got one. Development. What is showing up in our lives? This is how we know our kids are growing up because maturity is showing up. They're not speaking the way they used to. They're not thinking the way they used to. They're not understanding the way they used to. There's a different level of maturity showing up. And that's why we looked at what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, that great love chapter, because love is the key to our growth. Love, perfected love on display in our lives is a sign of spiritual maturity. It's a major marker of our growth. Like we talked about over the last couple of weeks, like our children standing in the doorway and we mark over the years how they've grown, the measure of their growth. The more love, the love of God is on display in our lives, that's like another mark up the side of the door. We're growing up. We're growing up when love is showing up. Thank you, Lord. I've been looking for a way to say that and I appreciate it. That's it right there. We're growing up when love is showing up. I feel like that's good. Write that down. Somebody put that on a t-shirt. We're growing up when love is showing up. And in that great love chapter of 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, when I was a kid, I talked like one. I thought like one. I understood like one. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. And I mentioned it before, but it's worth saying again. He didn't say I grew out of some things. He said, I put them away. There are some things when it comes to the physical growth, the, the physical stature, we grow out of them. I'm not still wearing t-shirts from my toddler days. I grew out of them like months ago. There are things naturally that we grow out of. There are other things, spiritually speaking, and in the realm of the soul, that if you don't put them away, you'll stay childish forever. Put, he said, I put them away. So go back, and we won't take time to do it again. I just want to bring one thing out to you. We touched on this, and I'm thinking back over the last couple of weeks, and I could see so clearly now what the Lord was trying to get us to see in it. And I have felt like, church, there was a disconnect between what we were saying and what the Lord wanted us to see. But I believe I got it. I believe I got it late last night, early this morning. Paul said love, spiritual maturity, is patient. Let patience have its perfect work that you would be, say this with me, what? Perfect, complete, lacking nothing. Let spiritual maturity, patience, have its perfect work that you'd be perfect, complete, say the word complete, complete. lacking nothing. Then he says love is not, or spiritual maturity is not envious. You remember we talked about those two little kids, a couple little toddler boys playing in the floor. And you got this one over here and he's got this little red fire truck and man, he's just vroom, vroom, vrooming that thing all over the carpet, having the time of his life, not a care in the world, thoroughly enjoying his little existence, living his best life now until he looks over at little toddler number two who's got a blue truck. And he sees the blue truck and he looks back at his red truck and then looks back at the blue truck. And when you're that little, you don't articulate it in grown up words. You speak like a child. And what you say is, anybody remember? Mine. Mine. 
This is envy. Is it not? Looking at what somebody else has, not thankful for what you've got, but wanting what they've got. Mine. Now we may dress it up in grown-up speech, but at its heart, it is still that childish way of thinking. Mine. But what I'm seeing so clearly that I, that I hadn't seen as clearly as I needed to is the connection between spiritual maturity, or I should say it like this, the difference between spiritual maturity, the difference between perfected love and somebody who's envious. And it goes back to this word complete. We touched on it before, but man, we got to dig into it. Complete. Now that little three-year-old, he doesn't know how to articulate this. He doesn't know how to put this through a thought process, but this is really what the process is saying. I have this red truck, but I am not complete without that blue one. If I don't have that one, something is missing from my life. Now three-year-olds don't know how to say that, do they? Mine, 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 mine. But in that little word and in that way of thinking and understanding is this, this concept of incompleteness. I mentioned this to you before, but let's just dig a little deeper today. When you're studying the idea of perfection in scripture, not as we define it in our modern culture, but as the word defines it, there are several words in the original language that all get translated perfect or perfecting or perfection and have varying definitions, but there's one word that shows up every time you look at any one of these words, and it's the word complete. Whether you're talking about growing up spiritually or whether you're talking about an equipping that you need, all of these words get translated perfect, but study them and every time you're going to find this word shows up complete. Perfection is about completeness. Can you say that? Perfection is about completeness. Did you find Colossians 2? Good, that was 26 minutes ago. Wow. Yeah, I can tell we're going to need next week too. Colossians chapter 2, look in verse 6. This is a very short verse. But there are so many answers in it, so much explanation of how you and I are supposed to live life. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. Let me say it to you like this. As you therefore have received grace, so walk in it. It goes back to what I said to you a moment ago. Is it showing up in your life? Yes, you made Jesus the Lord of your life. Am I in a room full of believers, a room full of Christians this morning, people who, who have bowed the knee and, and people who have made Jesus the Lord and you confessed with your mouth and you believed in your heart, God raised him from the dead. You're saved. You called on the Lord. You are saved. Glory to God. That is so wonderful. There is more that happened in that than maybe we even know how to express, maybe more than we know how to say. It is a glorious, miraculous thing. As a matter of fact, I think it's the most miraculous thing that still happens in the world today. 
is the rebirth of the human spirit. Not just the, the healing of it, the total rebirth, the total recreation of it, man. You went from death to life. You went from dark to light. You went from sin-filled to righteous in the sight of God, and you did it in a prayer. One. It's awesome, man. It is so glorious. Now what? Is this it? Are we done? Now what? Man, you got a taste of grace. And it did big things in you. And it changed your eternal home. Now what? Walk in it. It's got to start showing up. Right? What God did in you. The whole idea of this life is that it starts coming out of you. That you and I start walking in it. And when love is showing up, we're growing up. We're being perfected. We're being completed. He said in verse 6 again, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established. Oh, there's one of our words. Huh? There's one of our words. Established in the faith. So put these two things together. As you've received grace, walk by faith. As you've received grace, let faith draw it out. This is, and, and this sounds like an oversimplification. I don't think it is. This is the entire life of the believer. Grace makes a deposit. Faith draws it out. That's it. Everything God has put in you when he gave you Jesus, walk in it. Draw it out. Now, just like our children growing, that maturing doesn't all happen at once. They don't go to bed five and wake up 18, do they? It's slow, it's gradual, it's a process, and so is the walk of faith. It's a developing, it's a growing, it's a maturing, it's a completing. Okay. Then he says in verse 8, this is important. He says, beware. If the Bible tells you to beware, what do you need to do? Beware. Pay attention. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of Christ, or excuse me, the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. Verse 9, for in him, in who? Jesus. In Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus is complete. There is not, was not, is not, nor will there ever be even one thing missing in him. And that's what you're looking at as you look through the scriptures and you, you read the, the messages he preached and you see the miracles he worked and, and you listen to the words coming out of his mouth. What you're watching is, yes, somebody perfected, established, strengthened, and settled, but what does perfect mean? Complete. Complete. Somebody who is live in life not as a fragmented person, 
not as a, an incomplete puzzle with missing pieces. Do you know how rare that is in this world? And I mean in the church, out of the church. This is what people are looking for. Completeness. Completeness. You got so many people, uh, many people watch it as entertainment. Other people probably have a thought in the back of their mind, afraid of the coming apocalypse. And who knows what mankind is going to be. And you've got all these horror movies with zombies and the half dead walking around and Folks, that does not startle me half as much as all the incomplete people living on the planet right now. Totally in pieces. Our daughter, Jessie, she's, she's kind of a, a puzzle girl. She likes getting puzzles. We get her puzzles for her birthday and Christmas and she'll pull one out and we'll get this 500 piece puzzle out and man, we'll work on it. We'll work on it maybe hours, sometimes days, you know, here and there. There is nothing. You know where I'm going. More frustrating to get to the very end and go, where's the last piece? Do you have it? I thought you had it. Where's the last piece? And we have done it more than once, more than twice. We're looking under tables. We're digging in pockets. Did somebody throw it away? Did you eat it? What happened to it? Where's the last piece? Because you can have 499 pieces all put together. But if you're missing one, what is it? Incomplete. It's not perfect. Well, you know, you got most of it. Shut up, man. I want that piece. This is not perfect. It's not perfect until that piece is in there. It's not complete. Now, folks, here's what you got to understand about you and what I have to understand about me. You are a puzzle. But the good news is you're not a 500-piece puzzle. You are a three-piece puzzle. And it seems like a three-piece puzzle would be so easy to put together, right? And yet you got fragmented people walking around this planet not put together. Help me out. What are the three pieces to our puzzle? Spirit, soul, and body. And you would think, put them together and you got something complete. And yet so many people are incomplete. Are they not? And the, the human heart, I'm not talking about that blood pump. I'm talking about the core of who you are. It is hungry for completion, isn't it? People are starving for it. And they are looking everywhere for it, except the one place it's found. Now, Jesus is our picture of completion, isn't he? In him, the Bible said, dwells all the fullness. In other words, he's totally full, completely filled with the Godhead bodily. That's an awesome thought. To think that before the Father sent his Son to the world, he put in him everything that he is. The father put all of the father in Jesus and he gave him the spirit without measure and he put it in a bodily form. Jesus lived and walked his earthly ministry with this constant awareness of his completeness. Do you notice when you read the gospels, there's never a moment of identity crisis in him. One time he said to his disciples, who do men say that I am? But that's different than you and I Googling ourselves. <laughs> what are people saying? That's different than trying to find out 
what the talk is around the water cooler at work. That's different than living our lives based on the opinions of other people. Jesus asked that question so that he might ask the next question, who do you say that I am? The most important question anybody has ever been asked and anybody will ever answer, who do you say Jesus is? He's not living with an identity crisis. He's not incomplete, wondering who he is. I don't know, there was all these prophecies about me, but man, that just seems like too much to be true. Who am I? Who am I? No, this man is full. This man is totally, completely put together. And because of that, when you read through the gospels about his life, you see boldness, you see confidence. You wanna know what you see? Total freedom. Total and complete freedom. No questions, no confusion about who he is, no confusion about his identity. He's complete. All the fullness of the Godhead dwells in him bodily. And man, when you've got God in you, there ain't nothing missing. When, you, when you've got the Spirit of God on you and in you, working through you without measure, there's not one thing missing. You are perfect, complete, and lacking nothing. That's Jesus. Perfect, complete, lacking nothing. Say it. Perfect, complete, lacking nothing. That's how he lived in this earth. That's how he is right now as he sits at the right hand of the Father, ever living to make intercession for us. There's not one thing missing in him. And he's our example. He's our picture of perfection, our picture of completeness. But look at the next verse. Are you ready to shout, church? Verse 9 again, in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Verse 10, and you are complete in him. Who's completed? What now? Oh, I get that he's complete. I get that he's perfected, nothing missing in him. But you're saying, me? Little old me? One who missed it yesterday? One who made that mistake last week? One who said what he shouldn't have said? One who did what he shouldn't have done? You talking about me? I'm talking about you. You, he said, are complete in him. One of the greatest things you're ever going to find out in this life is who you are in him. And here's what the rest of this world is clamoring to find. Who am I? Who am I? Who am I? Who am I? What's my identity? My identity? What's my purpose? Who am I? Who am I? Who am I? That's not the question. The question is, who am I in him? That's what you've got to find out. Who am I? Not in me. Who am I in him? Oh, and you want to have some fun? Open up your Bible and find every scripture you can that talks about who you are in him. In him, we have redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. In him, there is therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is who I am in him. This is what I have in him. I don't wonder who I am. I wonder who I am in him and who he is in me. Because in him, evidently, I'm complete. I am perfectly put together. Well, what does that tell you? If you're complete in him, what are you outside of him? Incomplete. 
You got a body. You got a soul that's probably dragging you all over the place, up one day and down the next. So unstable, so unsettled. What's the problem? The problem is you're missing a piece. You are missing not just a piece, but the most important piece. You're a spirit. And what God has done in your spirit is complete you. Make you perfect. Make you whole. Awesome. Now what? Walk it out. Now what do I do? Draw it out. That completeness soon has got to start showing up. And man, I'm not sure there's a bigger difference between two individuals, between those who live incomplete and those who live complete in Christ. Now, did you notice what he said just a couple of verses before that? Beware. Remember we said that? Beware. Beware of what? He said, beware of philosophy. Beware of, uh, what did he say? Tradition. Look at it again. What is that? Verse eight or so? Yeah, verse 8. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. What is it we're supposed to beware of? We are supposed to beware of any thought, any word, any idea that tries to convince us we are not complete. This is what your enemy is full-time doing right now. If there is one thing that Satan, the accuser of, of the brethren, does not want the brethren to know, it's that they are complete in Christ Jesus. So there are philosophies of the world. There are traditions of the world. There are things that the scripture called empty deceit. And all of them exist in an attempt to convince you you're not yet complete. And I believe what the Lord would have us do, and I guess we'll do it in the, the couple of minutes we have left and then carry it into next week, is address what I believe are the two big lies that Satan uses and tells believers to try to convince them they're not complete. One of the first lies, and there's more I'm sure, but this is the way the Lord gave it to me. One of the big lies is you need more money, you need more stuff and it will complete you. Now you know us well enough by now to know that we believe in the goodness of God around here. And we believe that God is so good that he would save you and heal you and deliver you and prosper you spirit, soul, and body. You know us well enough. I mean, we just spent already the first part of our service talking about that. We believe that God, according to his own word, would give us richly all things to enjoy. But church, there's something we must adhere to and acknowledge as quote unquote prosperity believing people. We have got to get this right. Money is not the main thing. When it comes to our 
friendship, our fellowship, and our relationship with God, money is not the main thing. And we can sit here and nod and say, oh yeah, yeah, I get that. But check up on yourself. How much is it on your mind? How much talking are you doing about it? Because it is very easy to slide right over into this thinking, man, if I had that. And this is what's happening all over the world. People look at other folks that have some stuff, have some means, and man, if I had that, you know what I could do if I had that? And if you're not watchful, it turns into envy. What are you doing? You wanting that guy's stuff. Why? Because I'm not complete without it. Is this not in the culture of the world we're living in right now? It goes right back to what I told you at the beginning of this message. YouTube video, advertisement after advertisement. Hey, do this and you'll be rich by the end of the month. Hey, do this and you can have that. Do this and you can drive this car. Do that and you can live in this house. But the subtle lie behind it is this philosophy and this empty deceit that's like, you know what? If I had that, I'd be complete. I'd be all put together. This is a big lie. I said, this is a big lie. How do I know it's a lie? Because in Jesus, you're already complete. You and I are not waiting on some material thing or some mysterious dollar amount to make us complete. Somebody say it like this. I don't need more money to be complete. I don't need more stuff to be complete. I don't need a bigger house to be complete. I don't need a nicer car to be complete. I am complete in Christ Jesus. What are you doing? Fighting that lie. You are being where right now? I'm not believing that lie. I'm not buying into that lie. And I'll give you this last scripture as we begin to close. Musicians, come on up. I said last. Next to last, then the last. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 10 says, He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver. This word satisfied has to do with exactly what I'm talking to you about. It's about completion. He who loves silver will not get some completed feeling when he's got more silver. Nor he who loves abundance with increase. This is vanity. The New Living Translation says it like this. Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. Is this the Bible we're reading? We know it in theory, but we've got to have to know it by revelation. I do not need more stuff to complete me. The prosperity so-called message is not about you getting more stuff in an effort to complete yourself, to perfect yourself, to bring joy and happiness. Can it do some temporary things? Sure. Can you enjoy the new car for a minute or two while it's brand new? Uh, yeah, for sure. But guess what? You didn't get in it. It's not some magic machine that turns you into something else. You are still you when you get in it, complete or incomplete. It can't change that. I saw something early this morning, late last night. Look at this in the book of Matthew. 
And we'll wrap it up. Probably. In Matthew chapter 19, this is the account that this, I'm going to say, I'm going to say this, but let me qualify it. The Bible calls the rich young ruler. Now, nowhere in Jesus' conversation with this guy do you have any particular things, or so I thought, that pointed to him being a young guy. He, he makes a statement in there about keeping the commandments. He said, I've kept them from my youth. That doesn't necessarily mean he's young right then, though. I mean, can you see what I'm saying? Maybe he's just talking about, you know, I used to be young. I've been keeping all the commandments. I'm old. Well, let me just get into this. It says in verse 16, Matthew 19, 16. Now, behold, one came. Uh, Mark's account of this says, one came running to Jesus. And knelt down in front of him and said, good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? Can you hear something in his voice? Can you hear incompleteness? And you couple these things together, even the way the Bible describes that he came to Jesus, he's come running. There's an urgency about him. He came running and fell, like slid in the dirt up to the knees of Jesus can, can you get a sense he's hungry for something? Well, if you're hungry, even naturally speaking, if you're hungry, what are you saying? This part of my stomach is incomplete. There is room for filling. He's hungry. He's incomplete. And he's come to the right place and he's asking the right question. What do I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one. That is God. If you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus talked to him about the commandments. You shall not murder, commit adultery, not steal. You shall not bear false witness. He said, honor your father and mother. Love your neighbor. Verse 20, though, the young man here. So here's an indicator of youth. You don't see it in some of the other examples, but I'm going to draw your attention to another word here in just a moment. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept from my youth, what do I still lack? When you've been perfected, what are you? Perfect, complete, lacking nothing. What am I lacking? Jesus said to him, notice these words, verse 21, if you want to be, say it out loud, perfect. Not if you want to be flawless. Not if you never want to make another mistake. If you want to be sinless. No. If you want to grow up. If you're ready to mature. This is to me one of the big indicators of how we know this is a youthful person. Jesus looked at him and said, you ready to grow up? You ready to develop? Mark's account says there's one thing you lack. Well, if you're lacking something, then what? You're not complete. You're not perfected. He said, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. Well, what is selling what you have and giving? Love. That's love. That's love showing up. And when love is showing up, guess what's happening? You're growing up. 
But Jesus knew exactly what to say to this guy. That's not the, he didn't give everybody that instruction. He didn't walk around telling everybody, you need to sell what you have and give to the poor. You need to sell what you have and give. You need to sell what you have and give to the poor. No, this guy asked, what am I missing? I'm missing something. I'm incomplete. I am missing something. And Jesus knew, I, I suppose by a word of wisdom and knowledge about his life, go, go give. Give, let love show up. You'll grow up and start following me. Start living just like me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. It's happening every day, church. People are on the verge of going all in for God until they think it's going to require that they lose something. And these possessions were so valuable to him that even though he knows he's incomplete, in his mind, in his eyes, if I get rid of these things, I'm even more incomplete than I started. It's this, this philosophy, this tradition of the world, this empty deceit that says the money, the stuff, the material things complete me and they don't. And he walked away sad. Or you could say it like this. He walked away incomplete. Now I've always noticed this. If this guy had stayed around even five minutes, if he had just stuck there for five minutes, you want to know what he would have heard? He would have heard a conversation between Jesus and Peter. Where Peter said, Lord, we've left all and followed you. And Jesus said to him, nobody has left anything. Nobody's left lands. Nobody's left house. Nobody's left family. Nobody's left anything for my sake in the gospels that won't receive now in this time a hundredfold return. But did this guy hear that? No, he walked away sad. Because he thought when Jesus said give, he thought I'm losing something. Jesus didn't say you're losing something. He said you're sowing something. And you're demonstrating love. Love beyond yourself. Love beyond your own needs. Love beyond your own desires. Getting interested in somebody else. And when you're showing that love and love is showing up, you're growing up, young man. You're developing, young man. You want to be perfect? Show some love to some folks. You want to be perfect? Get the money off your mind. Oh, come on, church. That's our word this morning. We want to be perfect. You're going to have to get the money off your mind. You're going to have to get the stuff off your mind. Can you trust the Lord for more? Absolutely you can. Should it be the only thing you ever talk to God about? Absolutely not. You and I should have deeper relationship with him than that. Confident that if we've left anything for his sake and the gospels, that he would, he would pour out on us a hundredfold return. Now in this time, glory to God. That's Jesus being first. That's kingdom being first. That's you being complete in him. Glory to God. Come on, stand up on your feet. I'm not buying the lie, church. I'm not buying the lie. And I'm sad to say that I think perhaps our country pushes it more than any other country in the world. There's a chance of it. Telling people, if you have this, you'll be complete. If you just had that, you'd be complete. If you just have this, you'd have that girl. And if you had that girl, you'd be complete. 
If you had this car, you'd have that job. And if you had that job, you'd have this money. If you had that money, you'd be complete. I'm not buying the lie. Is there anybody else with me? I'm not buying the lie. What's the truth? What's the truth, church? I am complete in Him. Say it out loud. I am complete in Him. Say it again. I am complete in Him. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the house of faith.